Trauma Code to New York City, Trauma Code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald in studio today with my co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael. Happy Monday. And that, of course, or that music uh, was Emil Matluthi uh, from her song, uh, My Word is Free, Kam Ti Horra. Um, you have to help me with my pronunciation. But um, that, uh, I, that song came to my mind when uh, I was watching Tunisia beat France. She's, of course, a Tunisian singer uh, whose song was part of the soundtrack of that, uh, that revolution um, that kind of Arab Spring in Tunisia um, with its mixed legacy. And we won't get into that right now, but we had the opportunity to see her live. I think she's New York-based now. Mm-hmm. A friend of a friend, uh, Ryan Harvey, uh, organized a show with her in 2019 in the before era. Right, the before era. So it's just bringing back some fond memories. And, of course, anybody listening right now in the WBAI, uh, I guess it's possible you have the, the TV on in the background on mute and listening to us. But, of course, I appreciate you. Lending us your ear when Brazil is playing Korea right now in the World Cup. Um, and I just wanted to recognize also probably the best goal of the tournament was by the Brazilian Richarlson, uh, who set himself up in this like incredible samba-style goal that only a Brazilian uh, could organize. And he's been a voice against political violence and in support of uh, people uh, struggling through poverty in Brazil. So wanted to recognize uh, Richarlison as well. Um, but not dwell on that. We have our own show today. Well, those are very good points. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. A little culture, a little history, a little soccer. Yes, very indeed. good. Um, so yeah, Dr. Raphael here. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy December. It's our first December episode of the Trauma Code. Uh, come December, you'll hear many people say, or you know, you see many social media posts saying to finish up the year strong. Uh, so for some, that may mean hustling toward the end of year goal, or for others, it's really taking stock of one's physical health and mental health, 
For others still, it's some combination of the two. Uh, but whatever it means to each individual, I wanted to remind our listeners to be sure to check in with themselves daily, even if it's for five or ten minutes. Practice some mindfulness. Try to be aware of your breathing and what grounds you. If your mind wanders, recognize that and be patient with yourself. When you're able, hopefully you're able to get some good rest. And as the temperatures cool in New York City, it might be a little bit harder to get regular physical activity or regular exercise, but at least some activity to get some fresh oxygen to the brain is good. And those are um, just some tips to foster some inner peace this month, this final month of 2022. Um, but today on Trauma Code, we are joined by Dr. Hussam Al-Harash, a pediatric intensivist who will get us up to speed with RSV cases and what's going on in New York City with those numbers. And not just New York, actually. I've seen many counties, many regions are kind of struggling with the RSV cases. So we have an expert here with so us. Dr. Al-Harash, how are you doing? How's your microphone working? Uh, I'm doing all right. Thank, thank you guys for having me. It's, a, it's a really a pleasure to meet you both. And uh, we were just speaking earlier. You told me you were born in Damascus, so please feel free to correct my Arabic when I get it. Uh, <laughs> I think we're probably on a similar level. A similar level. Uh, but, of course, you were uh, raised in Brooklyn, so I want to put you on the spot. Where did you go to high school? Fort Hamilton High School. Fort Hamilton High School graduate here. What's the, what's the mascot? Tigers. <laughs> the so Fort Hamilton. Tiger. Excellent. Well, uh, you now, of course, uh, just, uh, I guess, rose up Flatbush to... Uh, to now be at Kings County Hospital where you're in the pediatric ICU, correct? Um, and, you know, in the last episode, I realized we talked uh, with a trauma surgeon from Philadelphia about the number one source of death in children and adolescents in the United States, which is, of course, gun violence, uh, unfortunately. Um, but today we wanted to switch it up a little bit and talk about um, the rise of respiratory viruses this season, uh, and I think people have been paying attention to the lay media on Good Morning America and CNN and anywhere else you might across, come across some of these reports. Um, so without getting into any specifics, Dr. Harsh, what's been going on uh, with respiratory viruses, especially with kids uh, in, in New York this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. It's definitely been uh, all over the media, right? Uh, everybody's talking about it. There's a pediatric surge. Um, it's... If you do that Google search, you know, it's, it's it basically me mainstream media articles on a daily basis almost talking about it. Um, we have seen a surge um, in respiratory cases in general uh, in pediatrics uh, over the last probably two months now uh, is where I picked it up. Um, and, you know, initially uh, it wasn't really RSV. Initially, it was it was a lot of rhinovirus, uh, asthmatics, um, kind of things that you would expect for that season. You know, pediatrics it's very seasonal. Um, but what surprised us, and what's really unprecedented about this, and, and I think part of the reason why it's 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 making the headlines is, um, aside from being large in volume, which it is, um, I think the thing that put it on the radar is that it's a much earlier respiratory RSV and now flu season. I mean, these are traditionally infections that we see later on into winter, you know, January, um, maybe late December. Um, but we were getting a peak in late September. So that's unprecedented. As far as the volumes, um, they're certainly higher than what we've recently had, you know, during the COVID era. Um, but even when we look at recent pre-COVID era, we're, we're, we're still at higher numbers than those. So the volume is higher, but the unique unprecedented feature is how early it is. And with folks looking at projections saying, uh, if it started earlier and it climbs from here, where could we be in a couple of months? 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a trauma surgeon. If someone's shot in the chest or bleeding out of their neck, that doesn't scare me nearly as much as an infant who's struggling to breathe because of a respiratory virus because I don't know what to do in that situation. So if it's one of my kids. But what, what, are, what are we really talking about? What are the symptoms kids are hap- having? How sick are they getting? And, and are you seeing them wind up in the ICU? Yeah, so um, earlier on uh, during the season, maybe uh, August into September, it was a lot of asthmatics, older children. And if we break kids into three general groups, let's say uh, under one years old, one to five, and then the adolescents, uh, let's say, uh, you know, or you know, young children to adolescents, five to 18. Um, so looking at these three groups, earlier on, we saw more of the asthmatics, rhinovirus, that those, those two older groups. Um, Late September, we started seeing RSV. That was that RSV spike much earlier than expected. And RSV primarily um, afflicts younger children, so under a year old. It's the most common infection in that age group. Um, so with that, then you get the you know bronchiolitis that comes with that. So that could put a child in an ICU if they're sick enough because they're having breathing problems because of a bronchiolitis. Um, or the other, the other sometimes... Less common concern, but also very serious, is for the younger babies, um, central apnea of RSV. RSV infection itself may not be causing them a problem with their breathing and that they're having difficulty, uh, but their drive to breathe um, could be affected. But that's for much younger babies. But those are two reasons why a a baby would end up in an ICU because of RSV. Uh, I guess in response to one of the things that you've mentioned already, Dr. Al-Harash, you mentioned that it's an earlier presentation of respiratory illness, I guess, earlier for earlier in the season. Any reason why you think that this might be the case? Yeah. So first of all, both of you, please call me Hassam. <laughs> for I some reason on this show, non-medical people, we all go by first names. And then I, I always start off making it very formal with other doctors. I want to recognize that your hard work. But fair <laughs> enough. We'll call you Hassam. You can please. call me Simon. Thank you. Thank and you. Cassandra. Um, so, you know, as far as, far as why... There's a difference between this season and previous seasons. Um, it, it, to a certain extent, you know, we're going to blame it on COVID, <laughs> like the many differences in our lives now. Um, there's a theory, and it's 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 got logical plausibility that young children, children born over the last three years uh, since you know late 2019, um, did not get the opportunity to be exposed to viruses the way that they would have otherwise been had there not been the precautions and the shutdowns and things like that. So mm, okay. that's a theory. Um, and basically what that theory says is, you know, as a child going through um, the first months of life, you're constantly exposed to viruses from your siblings, your parents, and this builds a gradual immunity um, at some point. And then now as a two-year-old, you have a track record of antibodies that can protect you in that regard. Um, so that's, that's pretty much how I think uh, most folks that have spoken about theorizing have, have commented there is there are people who don't agree with that as as the underlying cause uh, but that's probably the most popular one basically that the immune system or their immune systems have been challenged less and are a little bit less no training fewer defenses yeah. kind of as a yeah. result no training um, yeah. but to, to hyperbolize that then do we say and this is like an interesting question this is the, this is the argument against it to say well if that's the case uh, then, then if, if, if a lack of exposure is bad, does that mean exposure is then good? <laughs> right. So the kids that are exposed to the most, they should be the best. But it's, it's, there's nuances, I think, that, mm-hmm. that play a role. Right. And I think what we saw during COVID 
you know, people had a hard time understanding why the lockdown went into place. Um, but if everyone gets sick all at once, then you don't have the resources to take care of people in the same way than if people had gotten sick one or two at a time. Um, so Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, these were necessary measures. They Correct. Were, yeah. And and I remember trying to explain to people right after kind of the COVID lockdowns, people who weren't exposed to the healthcare side of it, trying to understand is this how is this different from the flu? And of course, during the height of COVID, spring and summer of 2020, I became a full-time COVID intensivist. Um, whereas you know people with influenza, especially certain bad strains, do get respiratory failure, do end up in the ICU. But in my career, I had never taken care of one of them because they went to the medical ICU. They, you know, there was plenty of space and plenty of doctors who did that full time that I could take care of the surgical patients, the trauma patients. So that was the big change in that it was so overwhelmed with so many at once that were so acutely ill that we had to invent new resources and change people's jobs title. Everybody for a couple of months was a COVID specialist because there wasn't time to deal with almost anything else, uh, even though people were still getting shot at that time. Um, that had to, to be much less of our work. So what's going on with that now? What is kind of the volume in your ICU or in the emergency room now? And actually what's interesting about the pediatric, if I step, take a step back, is that as I recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there wasn't a lot of pediatric cases in the spring and summer of 2020. It wasn't until kind of the later waves, uh, maybe Omicron was the one that really, for some reason, spread much faster in kids and ended up putting kids in the ICU. Is that about right? Yeah, that, that you're kind of like right on the money there. Um, so as far as a little bit historical, what's happened over the last two years and kind of feeding into what's going on now. So, uh, you know, I was looking at the charts and the graphs for, you know, as far as analyzing the surge and looking at our numbers over the last couple of weeks to months um, and Part of me said, hey, let's extrapolate this. Let's look, look back at a couple of years and see like what's really been going on. Um, and, and like you mentioned, there was definitely a big drop-off in uh, pediatric uh, emergency room visits and hospitalizations um, that really started around early spring. I want to say like late February, early March. We just started to see a dramatic drop. Really hit the trough probably in like March to April. Um, and Slowly since then, the cases have been kind of climbing. Um, but up until this past month, uh, we had not reached pre-pandemic levels. Um, the situation with COVID specifically during that time period is, you know, as, we, as, as many of us have seen, in general, kids um, did not have the same respiratory complications that our, our adult uh, patients did. Um, they did, of course, have, you know, and, and Kings County was part of the centers that looked at this, uh, characterizing this MISC, the multi-system inflammatory condition of children, that's, a fi that's associated with uh, late COVID. You know, it's a sequelae of COVID infection. We started seeing that, and those were not respiratory at all. Um, they were just shock and you know, things like that. Um, but even with those cases, thankfully, thank God for that, we did not reach numbers um, of patients at volumes uh, that we had pre-pandemic. Um, but over the last two or three months, we've gone above pre-pandemic levels, at least for the most recent pre-pandemic winter, uh, late 2019. Um, and we peaked for inpatient admissions. We probably peaked in uh, September. And things are still high volume, but they're not as severe as they were uh, in September. And, and a lot of folks have kind of commented on this um, and, you know, this group out of uh, Duke, they did the same uh, kind of analysis. And we suspect that, you know, 
with the peak that we hit in September, that was a combination of rhinovirus and, uh, and RSV kind of coming in. And, um, and as, as that makes its first run, um, we'll have a couple of fewer cases. And then the concern now is that flu is picking up. So as rhino is coming down, flu is picking up. And that's starting to contribute to our cases that we see. RSV is still there still larger than the usual volumes and still much earlier, unprecedented onset time. Um, but now we're getting the flu early as well. Right. Um, and if you're just joining us, uh, this is uh, Trauma Code. I'm Dr. Simon Fitzgerald with my co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael, uh, here in-house uh, in the studio with uh, Kings County uh, pediatric ICU physician, Dr. Hussam Alharis, talking about uh, respiratory viruses this season. Uh, and I think uh, we're going to open it up the first time, uh, not quite yet, but a little bit later. If anyone has questions, think about it. We're going to open up the phone lines in a little bit uh, with people who have questions and experiment we haven't done before on Trauma Code. But uh, to hear what you have to say in New York. Uh, but before we get there, some of the other sort of frequently asked questions and maybe go through the list. Um, right. I guess one of the things that you mentioned, Hassam, is that... Um, you know, now we're seeing more of a flu overlap with the RSV, even though the RSV numbers maybe are kind of either stabilizing or going down. But how can we tell that we're looking at RSV? Like, what are the symptoms that folks in the community should kind of be aware of and be looking out for? That's one question. And then how does that compare with other things uh, like the flu or COVID? How, do we, how are we differentiating and how do we know when to pursue uh you know, medical medical help in like the ED or a pediatrician. Yeah, those are those are those are very good questions. Thank you. Um, can I just uh, clarify one thing first? Um, the RSV numbers are not down per se. Mm -hmm. We're still seeing the same kind of volume of patients coming through. The change it's an interesting change, but our admissions are not as high as they were in September. They're not they're not low. They're just like they went from a unusually peak high in September to just like busy high. Sort of plateaued. It kind of plateaued, yeah. Emergency room visits, however, continue to climb. Right, right. That's kind of what the news headlines are. Right. About. And and that kind of feeds into the question because, you know, it's like, you know, are is the are people worried? And that's why they're going to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So are we seeing higher visits um, but not the kind of same as the admissions because of that? Or is there something else that's playing a role. Maybe our comfort levels are different, or right. So I was I was thinking about that. Either both the physician and the community members' uh, comfort level are different. Like the physician say, "Okay, we can probably take care of this at home if you do this, this, and this," and folks in the community are just kind of like, "Okay, I know what to do now." Absolutely agree, one hundred percent. So that's an interesting kind of thing to think about. But to answer your question um, that you asked, as far as telling apart respiratory viral infections. Um, you know, a, a skilled pediatrician can can do a physical exam, and you know we have we have characteristic infections that we deal with, you know, like slap cheek syndrome, the fifth childhood of disease, or hand, foot, and mouth, or right. hip and These are very physical exam diagnoses. So there there are opportunities, you know, to get a specific diagnosis uh, logged in for a lot of these infections. Um, but I, I th and, and obviously testing, right? If you end up in a in a hospital, um, God forbid you have to be admitted, uh, the patient has to be admitted. You know, PCR testing will identify the viruses a lot mm -hmm. of times. But I think I think what I would advise people who ask that question, as far as parents specifically, is rather than worry about the infection, or what the virus that's 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 causing the infection is, or bacteria, um, think about um, you know what are the things that I have to be concerned about, irrespective of what's causing it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Because I'll tell you right off the bat, rhinovirus, the respiratory uh, types. Um, 
you know, paraflu, RSV, actual flu, human pneumovirus, they may be indistinguishable, especially early on. Um, so I think the decisions are going to have to be made by what are the red flags that if I see, doesn't matter what's causing this, we're getting checked out. If so, that's, I forgot the second part of your question. I'm sorry. Can you remind me? There was, there was, there was. How do you tell them apart? Well, I think you're getting at it. Is when do you, when do you decide that you need to get help? Right. And then, and then, and then, yeah. So and, then, when do you? And, and I'll, st I'll start with my, with my, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, this hyper, hyperbole, or not hyperbole, um, but uh, just imagine a situation. You know, I have a kid who's started to have kind of a, a kind of a croupy cough and just doesn't look great. One of the first things that I'll do is put them in the bathroom with the hot shower on and have them breathe in the steam. Is is that evidence-based? Uh, well, I mean, it could be good. It could be bad. <laughs> because, well, if you if specifically with regards to croup, um, croup tends to do better with cold air. Hmm. So hot, humid air would actually make the croup worse. Wow. But so that I being said, that being said, I think a lot of times our kids have a cough because they have irritation. You know, it's like a drip or actual viral irritation of their pharynx. So they're coughing. So warm, humidified air is actually soothing in that case. So and you know, so I got my kid in the, in the bathroom with the with the hot shower running. Um, what are the signs that that are uh, either that okay, this kid's going to be okay and just need to rest and drink some fluids? And what are signs that you know I'm a little bit out of my element here in the bathroom and we got to go get help? Yeah, fair. And that that can happen to any of us. I mean, I've been in situations where I'm like, all right, this is the part where we end. Home care medicine. Right, right. <laughs> Let's end, go get real medicine. Scene, right. Um, how about the So before, chances are, and I'm going to just take one step back, a little step. Uh, chances are that before you got to that bathroom, the first thing that most parents, I think, experience with their kids that gets them worried or that they see as unusual is a fever. They'll say, my kid, you know, the, the parents that we speak to early on, before there's a significant respiratory component, are usually uh, saying yeah, low energy and a fever. And, you know, those, so, so I think... Starting with that, and then we could get into like actual respiratory, how to tell them apart, but the fever being the first one. Um, so a common question, just to phrase it in the, in the words of parents that I've dealt with is, what number should I be worried about? Like which fever number, when I get there, do you want me to go to the hospital or call you or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. um, and that one is actually an easy one. So th there is no cutoff number. The number doesn't matter. Um, there are certain things that, that matter more and, and, and I'll sort of illustrate them, uh, but it's not the number of the fever. And here's what I mean. So we're going to have a sample patient, let's say a four-year-old kid. A lot of energy usually, or as he's, he's exploring the world, you know, doing stuff. Um, and has 105 fever, very high fever, 105 Fahrenheit, 0 0.0. Uh, but he's playing, he's eating, he's drinking, um, Sure, maybe he's a little tired, more tired than usual, but behavior is kind of normal. That kid I'm going to be a lot more comfortable with than if you tell me, same four-year-old kid, fever is just 100.5, barely, barely a fever, just touch above it, but he's just laying there, hasn't really had anything to drink all day, he's not really used the bathroom. So the, the point I'm going to is um, it's not so much the number, it's the sort of the whole picture. And, and the reality is, and you know, like, the reality is that the, the kid's parents know that kid better than anybody else in the world. Like, they'll tell you that that's normal, that's not normal, and they know very clearly. So the first, the first sort of red flag I would say is, irrespective of the fever, 
if your kid is not able to do the normal things that they usually do, right? So they're not eating, drinking, especially drinking. That's the, you know, you want to see them drink, hydrate, and make urine, you know, use the restroom, number one. Um, so if, if that's not happening, if they're not able to engage and play, um, then that would be a concern for me. And I would say that that's when you should call your doctor or nurse, have a conversation and say, you know, this is what I'm seeing, what do you think? That's the first one. Second one, and if a fever lasts more than five days, personally, even if the kid looks fine, at five days, I usually say, hey, we should probably figure out why this fever is not going away. It could be something that's treatable. Um, so that's, that's kind of my fever approach. Later on, kids do develop respiratory symptoms. These viruses, they all start in our you know, nasopharynx. So you, the first things parents see are going to be maybe a runny nose, sniffles, um, maybe some sounds when the kid's breathing. And as, as it works its way lower, then we'll get a cough. So that's, that's usually, parents will usually come in for a runny nose, but they'll come in for a cough. My kid's got a cough. What do you think? You know, is this something I should be worried about? They always ask, oh, is this strep throat? And classically, strep throat doesn't have a cough. Just, you know, it's, it's got other features. But so they'll come in for the cough. Um, and so for that, well, first of all, before I jump into that, because that's some, as long as the fever thing, any questions or clarifications on anything that I... I will say, uh, Hussam, you know, I don't care what you say. If my kid has 105 fever, I think we'll we're going to the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little, that scares yeah, me yeah, a little no, bit. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think definitely if, so, so the last thing I say usually after I say the things that I would be concerned about is I yeah. say at any point as a parent, if you're concerned, sure. Right? Like even if Can't I don't help. tell you one of the reasons to be concerned about, but if you feel uncomfortable, yeah, I never want a parent to be uncomfortable at home, especially when good information and an evaluation, sometimes a phone call, sometimes calling the pediatrician and saying, this is the situation, have a conversation and they'll say, okay, see me in the morning, you know, something like that. But um, I definitely agree. A rule of thumb is if they're not well enough to do their stuff, then something is wrong. And especially if they're listless, don't have energy and not drinking, that's right. a sign that things can be getting real bad really soon. So definitely. I agree with those red flags 100%. Cool. Um, so should we talk about cough is that is that useful or should we go to respiratory like distress well i i don't know the thing that scares me is when you know a kid has a cough you call the doctor figure it out you know in the middle of the night when when the kid is having trouble breathing i think that's kind of a situation that uh when right. that happens that is squirreled into my memory and i feel like maybe people can have help in in identifying when to get uh, uh you know expert help yeah that's fair so 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 you know, when we talk about respiratory exams or evaluating the child that's in respiratory distress, we talk about, you know, their work of breathing, how much effort they're putting into their breathing. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, in the hospital, we can also check oxygen levels and things like that. Um, and then the other component is how fast is the kid breathing? So there's how fast and how much work. Um, so a thing that I find useful to tell the parents is, you know, you've seen your kid play and run and be out of breath, right? Like that's an experience you've had if, if your kid can tolerate that, if your kid does that. Um, if they look like that, but they're not running around and having fun, then that's a reason to get checked out. Right? If if your kid is having to catch their breath sitting down watching TV, or you know just sitting trying to eat, that's that's something to be concerned about and to get medical attention for. Um, and if you're not sure, I tell them breathe as fast as your kid. Just try to breathe like they are. If you're getting tired, get them checked out. Right. Now the the reality is, you know, kids breathe faster at a natural rate, so parent will eventually get tired, but m more quickly so if the kid is actually having trouble. And and that a little bit to the extreme of that, but to, to play it out is I always find that if, if I'm trying to talk to my child and they cannot catch their breath enough to talk to me, that's kind of the sign to me that there's a problem. 
Yeah, so shortness of breath. Um, I would hope that uh, parents recognize the symptoms before it gets to that. But that's, yeah, that's definitely at that it point. It can come on quick. You know, I've, I had the, the kids asleep. He wakes up coughing and then take him to, and that's where you can't find. Can't catch his breath, yeah. Can't, you know, working so hard that he doesn't want to talk because that's too much work. Yeah, so so for my for my asthmatic patients, especially the younger ones, um, I find that this is actually a very reliable way to assess their distress. You know, so depending on the age, I'll say, sing happy birthday or just count, you know, or say your ABCs, whatever you can do, um, because I want to see, I want to see are they able to get a couple of words out before they have to take a breath, um, and I find that to be a very reliable um, physical exam find. So yeah, if your kid can't get through a sentence, seek help. And the other one that, that scares me that you haven't mentioned, and maybe it, I don't know how relevant it is for these particular viruses, but if a kid's making, you know, a wheeze is when they have a little sound at the end of their breathing, breathing out. If they're making noise while they're trying to breathe in, that gets me a little bit worried, too. They're really starting to struggle, and it could be an emergency. Absolutely. I mean, And that's called Strider, if anyone has the, yeah, the, the so, medical education behind it. Yeah, so, so you know, I think it's, it's important to recognize that noises um, – you know, they can be a normal thing. Uh, but a lot of times, especially if you know your kid and, you know, hey, my kid doesn't usually make noises when breathing, um, it's something to pay attention to. Um, so, you know, with the, with the younger babies, a lot of times when they get congested, they'll have some upper airway sounds. Um, so stertor would be like the sort of the floppy airway sounds that you see. And then certainly if it's involving the vocal cords, the narrowest part of the, the, that page, you know, baby's airway, um, or a child's airway, and they have actual strider where they're, you know, they, we describe the sound as being like a, with a seal-like barky cough, um, which once you've heard it, it's like, it's like imprinted in your memory, but it's, it literally sounds like a seal, like bark, 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 you know. Um, so if they have a barky cough or if they have a sharp sound um, while they're taking a breath in, um, also, you know, strider concern for, so for that kid, don't put them in the hot shower. Okay. <laughs> get them, get them out into the cold. A, a common thing that happens: parents will have these kids with have, with croup, who have strider, and the kids will sound horrible at home, and then they'll bring them in to the emergency room. They go outside, get into the cold air, get in the car. Exactly. Kid shows up, and we're like, "What's going on? You know, this kid's totally fine." You <laughs> know, um, but the reality is that they that cold air just relax, you know, soothe some of that edema, some of that swelling, um, and make them sound better. Um, so it's like one of those things that in pediatrics they like try to get you like don't you know if parent tells you they sounded bad, don't just dismiss it before you consider croup. Um, so yeah, so definitely uh, breathing sounds, but I will say there are there are a lot of sounds to be normal, but this is where you want to get the opinion of a professional, right? To to tell apart that sound that's just hey this is just a little you know extra secretions in the nose and it's not a big deal versus oh this is like strider you need racemic epinephrine God forbid or something right. like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talked about what to recognize when, when the kid's sick. What can, anything that we can do in taking care of young people to keep them from getting sick? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I want to, just to echo off the first kind of the way we, you guys introduced the show, it's first thing is, you know, have the parents be in a good place. So take care of yourselves, people, you know, like make sure that you are healthy so that you can take care of your, you know, your, your children and, and try to keep them healthy as well. Right. Um, and, and, and being healthy overall is just going to protect you from, you know, illness, right? It's, it's, it's being stressed or having other conditions, you know, it's just going to weaken the immune system. But so once that's taken care of, you know, we, we spoke about a lot of different types of infections, um, you know, rhino, uh, rhinovirus, enterovirus, 
uh, flu and RSV being sort of the biggest three contributors uh, in, in recent times. So all of them, you know, they, they, they don't like masks. They don't like uh, hand hygiene. Um, and, and, you know, optimizing that, uh, especially if you have a child, you know, that you're trying to protect. Mm-hmm. Right? So you may not want to catch a cold that maybe for you is not a big deal, but for your child can be significant uh, illness. So, you know, basic precautions, you know, as we say, or droplet precautions, you know, so mask, avoiding, you know, parties, you know, things like that. Um, if, if you have a concern, if you're trying to really prevent, you know, and I'll talk about specific cases where that might apply, where you might want to be that precaution, take those precautions. Um, that, that being said, uh, a lot of these kids, a lot of our kids are getting these things at school. <laughs> it's like, that's where, you know, whether it's nursery, daycare, grade school, whatever it is, you have a bunch of kids in a small space. Right. That was my immediate thought when you said that the cases started rising in September. I was like, ah, yes. I know why. Back to school. <laughs> yeah. That'll that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. So so um, so try, say, taking certain precautions like that. Um, now, flu, you know, and, and hand hygiene and things like that. Now, flu is you know has a vaccine. So, you know, for for that component, the part that we're seeing now kind of start to spike or start to rise, uh, you have the option. Um, and to, to vaccinate. So have the conversation with your uh, provider and say, you know, this is my concern. I'm concerned about flu. You know, am I a candidate for the flu vaccine? And most of the time people can't get it safely. Um, and the- when we talked about this before, I think the way you'd put it, which I liked is that, um, you know, ask your doctor and if they can't articulate a good reason not to, yeah. then you should get the flu vaccine. Yeah. yeah do it unless your doctor tell you, know, you know, unless there's tries to convince you not or to. something that, yeah. that there's a good reason yeah. that it makes sense not to do it. Yeah. Right. Agree with that. Um, with RSV. Um, so so this is not really an RSV con- uh, kind of a thing. Uh, it's tied into it. But in general, if, if you have a newborn in the in the house. There's, there, is, there are good reasons to try to make sure that that newborn is not exposed to viral infections. So, or infections in general. So extra precautions with the baby. Uh, yeah, the I mean, I, I could make a case for it. I'll say um, recently my um, my brother-in-law's uh, baby boy arrived and I gave him the same advice and wasn't applied. But that's okay. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's advice that I can give, but it may not work for everybody. But spe- specifically with a newborn baby, um, you have an extra interest in not having them exposed to RSV, but also viruses and infections in general. Um, and practically that may mean, you know, not taking so many guests or guests can come, but they can't maybe hold the baby or, um, you know, people have to wash their hands. For kids, I commonly tell them only touch the baby's feet. Don't be like touching the baby's face. So for your kids, what age is that? Uh, do those recommendations kind of expire? So, so this is specifically for like a newborn. This is like, let's say under a month old. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is, you know, like, so newborns, they actually have a good amount of antibodies with them that they get from their mom. But um, so they, they have some degree of protection, even though their immune system hasn't really uh, ramped up yet. But if a newborn under a month old gets a fever, and this is really what, why it plays a role. This is really why it matters. If a newborn gets a fever and they look ill, they look sick, they don't just have a fever and they look totally fine. But if they have a fever, then uh, in an emergency room when they're being evaluated, the lumbar puncture is on that pathway, right? You, you, you have to consider it. And if they look unwell, then you should do it because neonates, newborns, don't localize infections well and you really don't know where this infection starts and ends. So... That's really the reason why. If you can get through that first month, 
the pathway for a two-month-old is more forgiving. Mm-hmm. Now, RSV also for a newborn, besides the usual respiratory symptoms, like I mentioned earlier, does have this risk of uh, central apnea. So newborns, this is again, a higher risk for preterm newborns, um, are more likely to have this apnea that's central and that you know, can last a few days with uh, RSV. All right. So again, uh, you're listening to Trauma Code. Uh, I'm Dr. Simon Fitzgerald with my co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael, and our guest today, Dr. Hussam Alharesh, talking about respiratory infections uh, in kids. And uh, we're going to go into a musical break in a minute, but uh, I think after that we're going to take some phone calls. Uh, so uh, I'm going to invite people to call in. Uh, this is the number here, right, right Reggie? 212-209-2877. You can feel free to call in at 212-209-2877. Be kind with us. This is our first time taking calls. Uh, remember, we have guests in-house, so on your best behavior. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. It's Legendary Beat. Trauma Code. I'm Dr. Simon Fitzgerald here with Dr. Cassandra Raphael and Dr. Hussam Alharish. And before we get back into talking about uh, respiratory viruses uh, in kids, uh, Dr. Raphael, uh, can you tell us about that song that we were just playing? Yeah, that was one of my favorite Afrobeats artists, Wizkid. That's from his 2014 album entitled Ayo. Uh, Ayo is Yoruba for joy. So, I mean, at least 
hopefully for some of us is a celebratory time at the end of the year. We're kind of gearing up for, for good things hopefully to come in, in 2023. Just a little bit of that December vibe. And, and also you have a little bit to celebrate too, right? Yeah, I made a little bit of a, a little career milestone. I became a board certified in child and adolescent psychiatry. I was always, well, I was a child and adolescent psychiatrist right, before, were, but now You were I practicing kind of, and now you're board certified. And now I'm board certified. That news just came in. So that's uh, well, pretty con- exciting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Hassan. Congratulations. And um, I think we have uh, a phone call. Should we take the first caller? WBAI, you're on the air. Hey, can you hear us? Is that, is that me? That's you. Yes. Um, uh, greetings, uh, good tidings, and good cheer of the uh, season. Um, I have two points of clarification um, and then a main question uh, with, with a little bit of framing. First of all... So would you, would you be able to a, relay the question for us? Yes. Oh. Sorry, there was a little bit of audio stuff. Go right ahead. Yes. Uh, two points of clarification. Yesterday I heard a headline that what was known as the monkeypox virus had now become the amber virus. And I'd like to have some understanding of where uh, the amber comes from. The second point of clarification is as regards the RSV, uh, the, particularly uh, hurtful to children. But I understand the, the second word that starts with an S refers to a part of the respiratory system. And I'd like you to clarify that and spell that, that word. The, the, the main question is, if you have noted the two points of clarification, has to do with why is it that allopathic professionals insist on misnaming uh, the uh, COVID as uh, uh, the shot as shots as a vaccine? Vaccine comes from the word vax, which refers to cow, started in what we know as Africa, where a small part of the cowpox was taken. The COVID shots, actually, the, what the mRNA. I, I think you bring up a lot of very good points. Um, so let, let me let me let me start with the first question. Um, look, as far as as far as monkeypox, um, I'll be honest. I'm a pediatric intensivist. I do a little bit of medical informatics on the side, but I'm not really qualified to talk about monkeypox. Um, so I'm sorry that I don't have a good answer for you. I also haven't prepared that for today, so we'll have to we'll have to defer that question for when we're better prepared for that topic. Yeah, as far as far as RSV and and the name, so it's respiratory syncytial virus. And I appreciate you uh, uh, putting Hussam on the spot um, uh, with the spelling test. Yeah, it's probably like S Y N C I T I A. There's probably another C in there. I, uh, I'm not. I can't spell it off the top of my head. But uh, syncytia or the respiratory syncytial virus. Um, that's that's a common pathological finding that we see when we look at cells that are infected by certain viruses. And when RSV was identified, uh, what the pathologists or the doctors um, who are trained to look at, at, under a microscope and identify and try to figure out what's going on, they saw that the uh, cells were fusing. So you would have, instead of little individual cells, they would kind of uh, fuse together and you would have one cells with multiple nuclei. That is called a syncytia. And that's where that name respiratory syncytial virus came from. Um, right, it's it's a uh, it's being in sync. Like the cells are kind of in sync. So the first yeah. four letters of syncytial is S Y N C. So 
Yeah, so so I think um, it's 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 like describing what they're seeing, right, um, right, and that's where the name comes from. With regards to your third question, it's also out of my kind of area of expertise. Um, what I would say is, you know, as far as you know, allopathic physicians or other people insisting on things, I always like to go to you know people that I to people that I respect, people that I work with, of all different various kind of persuasions and backgrounds. But the important thing for me is. Um, a solid scientific background and evidence. I'm willing to hear anybody try to convince me of anything as long as they bring evidence to the table. And, and I, you know, we, we strive for that evidence-based medicine, and I, I think there's good evidence. For, I think you brought up um, RNA, um, the, the RNA, what is it, the mRNA, mRNA vaccines, vaccines for COVID, and I think the COVID vaccines have performed phenomenally. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, but I will say that, you know, I think we have to bring a little bit of humility with us. I remember trying to treat COVID with uh, or the wacky treatments we did in the beginning because we didn't have good evidence. And um, there was one that was uh, it was like a lupus uh, medication. Yeah, we, it's an we immune modulator. Oh, yes, I remember this. Yeah. And, and anyway, and, and the, the point is that, you know, when we didn't have good, good evidence, not all of our recommendations were great. And luckily, we've learned from that. And I think mm-hmm. that's the only thing I would say is I'll try to bring a little bit of humility for uh, for, you know, you may be proven wrong. You stick around and you do this long enough. Yeah. Right. This kind of goes back to the point we talked about earlier. Like doctors gradually get more comfortable. Doctors gradually get more comfortable with, uh, you know, any condition that they see kind of in large numbers as we did with COVID. And so it kind of becomes the same with, with, with RSV. The more you see, the more you can kind of comfortably tell folks, this is how you can handle this at home. Or if you see, you know, certain signs, then yes, definitely come in. Uh, and I think we have time for one more question, but let's keep it to actually one question. Uh, WBI, uh, this is WBAI. You are on the air. Yep. Speak right up. We got you. Uh, how does a person, you're talking about trauma, uh, the cells, they hold memory. So if a person has been traumatized, whether young or baby, how do they go about detoxifying their cells in order to get this trauma out of their system? All right. So... Um, that uh, question is a little off topic for today, although it is actually probably one that, that we should spend a full show on, on, on healing from trauma. Um, and the various ways in which that is done. I mean, from my perspective, definitely, if, if you're talking about trauma, not necessarily physical trauma, right, but emotional trauma, mental trauma, um, there's a lot of reframing kind of the events that happened and, and kind of how we how we look at them, what we learn from them. Um, and and that can be that work can be done with with a good therapist that's always very very helpful in that regard um but also how, how does the saying go different the, the body keeps the score the body keeps the score <laughs> that's right you, you made me think of a question you mentioned you know like uh, emotional and or, or psychological trauma versus non i mean it, it, do people have significant physical trauma without having also kind of an emotional, an emotional response yeah right well certainly a, a physical trauma can a physical trauma can definitely beget an emotional response. And so I think maybe in the first episode, Dr. Fitzgerald and I were saying how uh, incidentally we've kind of ended up sharing patients. If something you know, traumatic has happened to somebody physically um, and it's, you know, their injuries are suspicious one way or another for either that they may be hurt themselves or that they have had a, a very significant physical encounter, then you know, they might call psychiatry to come and visit and just kind of see how the person is coping emotionally. So yes, definitely there's certainly some interplay between physical and emotional trauma, yes. Definitely. But again, also, we have the expert on RSV here oh, well, today. I, I don't know. 
I don't know if I'm an expert on RSV, but I'll share what I know. Okay, fair enough. And, uh, you know, we'd been talking a little bit earlier, and there was a point that you wanted to make uh, uh, specifically about our patient population in central Brooklyn, Brooklyn, which has a high burden of asthma and the, the special kind of uh, burden of disease with these patients. Do you want to share that with our audience? Yeah, I mean, uh, thank you for that. Uh, so a- asthma, definitely in Brooklyn, central Brooklyn in particular, we have a large asthma burden. A lot of our patients, a lot of our friends, a lot of our families suffer from asthma, chronic condition. Um, and, and when you have a chronic respiratory condition and then, you know, on top of that you put an infection, whether it's RSV, rhino, flu, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, the, the effects are going to be much more profound and much more significant. Um, but that also gives us an opportunity. Uh, we can make sure that our patients that suffer from asthma uh, have uh, the good controlling care that we can provide. Um, so certainly if, uh, you know, anybody out there who either suspects that they or somebody they know is asthmatic or they have asthma symptoms and they haven't really refilled their controller in a while, um, or if they need their flu vaccine, this is the time to kind of go and make sure to get all of that done uh, before this thing kind of gets worse. Prepare your defense before you're, before you're under attack. Yeah. All right, so we have one more caller. I think we're going to make this the last one as we uh, head towards the end of the hour. You are on the air, WBAI. I'd like to ask you, do you think the damage done to children by lockdowns and the social damage done by wearing masks was outweighed by the damage that was would have been done by not having them wear masks? Do you regret that mistake? Did you learn from that, or are you going to do it again? All right. Thank you. I think there was actually an interesting question in there, which is that um, is was what is the or the benefit versus the harm of the lockdown, specifically speaking about children? I know. Um, there, there are certain people in the media that just love harping on this and love talking about the damage due to education of kids, and I wish that they were as enthusiastic about making sure kids got the, you know, the resources they need for their education in other circumstances. But what about that? What was the trade-off in first the lockdown and two in the in the mask wearing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think looking at it in that retrospective way doesn't do the subject the justice that it did. Because I mean. You know, it's like, it's like, well, which one was worse? Well, I mean, you can make those calls and ask those questions now with hindsight and certain perspectives. But the reality is, and, and this is just the way things work, that we're going to be in situations where we're worried about our children and we have to make the best decisions that we can make at that time with the best information that we have. Most of the time, it's hard enough to do that, right? But as long as we can do that, then we can at least say, hey, we, I mean, you know, it, it Let's not separate it. I'm a physician. I was involved in a lot of these decisions and, and implementing them. I have children, right? I want the best for my children. Right. Uh, we made these decisions because we really thought they were the best for our children. Does, you know, did, did, is there, did everything work out 100% the way everybody said it would? No, that's reality. I'm sorry. This is a wor- real world that we live in. And, and even in trying to judge the evidence, I think it's not so clear, even for people who didn't have as much disruption of their day-to-day education, they still may have had family members that got sick or died. They may have gotten sick themselves. There was all kinds of disruption. Some of it was intentional. Some of it uh, was just the nature of the disease. So, And some of it, actually, what uh, Dr. Hassam and Dr. Simon Fitzgerald are saying, um, it also kind of pointed out a lot of flaws in our system as it exists, like flaws in, in child care, uh, flaws in accessibility to health care, accessibility to education. And these are all things that, you know, at some point they would be pointed out, right? So we, we should be mindful of that and find ways to address that in our society at large. And <clears throat> sorry, and, and take those into account when we're trying to remedy any damage that has been done. And the last thing I will say about the masks, I haven't 
really seen the harm that the masks have done, except maybe dermatologically. I break out a little bit sometimes with the mask, but I, I really don't see the downside. And I think, you know, maybe in schools now we're not using it, but probably still when you're on the subway or in other crowded circumstance, I would still recommend wearing a mask. If you have Same. symptoms, if you have a stuffy nose, if you have a cough, I can't believe we used to just go to work with those symptoms and not mask up. That seems crazy to me. So no, it does, yeah. I'm hoping that some of the mask in certain contexts will become part of our social etiquette. Uh, but I think we're running up on the end of the hour. Um, at the end of the show, I always like to, to share some um, some music, book, cultural recommendation. Hassam, I didn't really give you a, a long time to prepare. Do you have anything you <laughs> want to share not, with us? Not, not off the top of my head. I'll, I'll try to follow up. Not a problem. Uh, Dr. Rafael, Cassandra, I think you had a recommendation that you wanted to share with everyone. Well, yeah. So uh, tonight at, what is it, National Sawdust, which I think is in like in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, there's a pianist named Sofiane Pama, who's a French pianist who's coming to, uh, to, to play in New York City. And I've been following this uh, pianist. I kind of found him on my music streaming service when my four-year-old... Uh, who assumed, well, he assumed before in a few days uh, when he was a newborn, I was just kind of streaming instrumental piano music to kind of help put him to sleep. And I came across this artist and I noticed that he'd not really had dates in, in the United States, but today, tonight, he, he, he does at the National Sawdust in Brooklyn. So again, that's Sofian Pamo, and we're going to end with his uh, tune, Medellin. Yeah, Medellin in his, uh, in his Planet series. In his Planet series, that's right. Please so, enjoy. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, next week we'll have on Juan Carlos Pinto of the Brooklyn Recycle Project. Thank you very much, Dr. Osam, for joining us today. And you can, and you can reach us uh, by email at traumacodewbai at gmail.com and on Twitter at traumacodewbai. Thanks again for joining us. cosas pasan rápido en la calle. Su velocidad le puede parecer lenta al manejar, pero si atropella a alguien, es espantosamente rápida. Conductores, estén pendientes de los peatones y ciclistas, y al doblar, reduzcan la velocidad a 5 millas por hora. El exceso de velocidad arruina vidas. Reduzca la velocidad. 
un mensaje de la iniciativa Vision Zero de la ciudad de Nueva York. Hi New York, it's Dr. Vossen, the city's doctor. The holidays are my favorite time of year for gathering with our friends and loved ones. So with COVID-19, the flu and RSV spreading, here are five health tips for me to you so you can enjoy the holidays safely. One, get the new COVID-19 booster. Everyone over five, and especially those over 65 or who have a chronic health condition, should get the new booster right away. It protects against the variants of COVID-19 making people sick today. Two, get your annual flu shot. You can safely get your flu and COVID-19 shots at the same time. Three, wear a mask in crowds. Masks slow the spread of airborne illness. It's not an all-the-time thing, but for when you're around a lot of people indoors. Four, stay home if you're sick and get tested for COVID-19. Talk to your provider or call 212-COVID-19 for Paxlovid or other treatment options. And five, and as always, keep those hands clean. Spread cheer, not COVID or the flu, New Yorkers. After all we've been through, we all deserve a healthy and peaceful holiday. Hi, it's Janine from Brooklyn. I have no complaints on WBAI. I'm very happy with everything. My name is Anthony. Is it possible to create an app? Would that help build up the base if someone could just put an app on their phone, click on it and get the BAI, like and get to other radio stations? This is Rose from Flemington, New Jersey. There are a lot of young people. Is there any way we can provide them with some college credit for volunteering? And it doesn't have to be on Atlantic Avenue. They can get together and do it remotely. Am I making any sense? If you'd like to add your thoughts to the ongoing conversation regarding the work of the WBAI Local Station Board, then tune in Tuesday, December 6th from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. for the second report of 2022 from the WBAI Local Station Board. This month, you'll be introduced to various members of the board. They'll talk about their responsibilities, recent developments throughout the network, and ask you for your ideas on how to build a stronger WBAI. Please keep in mind, this is your chance to interact with the board members on the show, so don't let this opportunity pass you by. Again, that's Tuesday, December 6th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. for the second report of 2022 from the WBAI Local Station Board. Only on WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM.